think you look at the squad with um, with George obviously playing in the way he, we know he can play. Kyle's such an exciting cricketer, and then you add in the power of of Barrington, Hares, Crossy. The list goes on. To be honest. Welcome to the Cricket Scotland podcast. I'm Jake Perry. And I'm Rosie Ryan. It's been another full-on week in the world of Scottish cricket with the Western Warriors confirmed as the Eastern Knights opponents in the final of the Regional Pro Series and the Heriots, Clydesdale and Carlton all consolidating their positions at the top of the Eastern, Western and Women's Premier Leagues. We'll have all the news from the weekend's domestic action a little later on. We'll be hearing from Harriet's Mark Watt, the informed Stirling County's Matthew Tweedy and Uddingston's Brian Clark after their impressive win at Fergusley, all in the company of Gary Heatley as always. But the big news on the international front this week was sadly Covid-related again with the announcement that the men's under-19 and women's T20 World Cup qualifiers that were originally due to be played in Scotland have had to be moved to Spain because of the ongoing travel restrictions. And adding to that blow was the confirmation that the fixtures against Nepal and Namibia have been postponed until 2022. There had been a tremendous effort behind the scenes to get the fixtures played at Desert Springs, but the current situation in Namibia made that all in vain in the end. All of which overshadowed this week's feature interview a little bit. Before his Warriors side took on the Cali Highlanders on Sunday, Callum McLeod joined Jake to talk about Scotland's Cricket World Cup League 2 campaign so far. Well, Callum, our plan today was to chat about Desert Springs and the Cricket World Cup League two games with Nepal and Namibia. But instead, it's the disappointing news of another postponement. It is disappointing. Um, obviously, everybody in the squad was, was looking forward to getting back out to the, the World Cricket League and going there with the idea of trying to win four games and get back on top of the top of the pile if we could. Um but now we just have to wait. We have to wait around and see see when we'll get to play those games. And obviously, at the moment, with the ever changing landscape, you just you just don't know what's around the corner. Um, so yeah, we're back back to training, back to getting ready for for hopefully some cricket during the summer if anything anything comes around. Yeah, I mean it, it's so disappointing in, in that it's been such a good tournament so far uh, with this new format. But it's kind of ironic. In a way that, you know, it's the COVID situation in Namibia which caused the issue this time after things weren't so great in Nepal not so long ago. Um, but it's that triple team format of Cricket World Cup League 2, which is, as I say, such a positive thing in normal circumstances that makes it so much harder to get three teams together at the same time at the moment. Yeah, I suppose COVID's just put a wreck to a lot of things. Um, as, far, as far as the tournament's concerned, um, obviously... From a Cricket Scotland point of view, I've been fairly critical of the ICC in the past of the 10-team World Cups and stuff. But as a as a format and as an associate tournament, this is probably the best that I think they've put together. I think it's a brilliant idea. It's a brilliant concept of getting teams to play each other in neutral grounds and their home conditions. And and it's just really broadened the amount of cricket. And I think, um, I think the general standard of associate cricket's just been raised because of it. Because you're travelling a lot more, you're playing... You're playing more teams more often. Uh, Pre-COVID, we were playing more teams in different conditions more often. Um, for example, playing, playing the USA in, in Sharjah, it's, um, 
it's not something we would have ever really thought of doing. Um, you know, you know, if you go to the Sharjah and you're playing UAE, what you might might expect from their bowlers, but then it's a completely different challenge when when you're faced with a team playing in in conditions you're not used to seeing them in. Um, and I think the learning and the way that hopefully we can adapt to things like that will only just help not just Scotland, but the whole of the associate game in the future. Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's been a fascinating tournament so far. And the Netherlands' recent experiences, how they've done against Ireland, it, it just shows how that gap between the the top associate members and the, and the full members is so small as to be almost irrelevant. I think gone are the days of any any team taking an associate lightly. Um, and it shows it shows exactly from the way the tournament's running at the moment. Um I, th- I think we're sitting third at the moment, and obviously we're not hugely pleased with that. We'd like to be, we'd like to have the opportunity to go and play and, and really push a claim to be the the number one associate. Um, but again, that's where this tournament's this tournament's brilliant. Is it's not done over three or four games. You've got the opportunity to to play a lot of cricket and then and, and then prove your worth. Um, and then, like you said, the the Ireland Holland series was was quite a was quite an interesting one to watch from afar, um, especially with potentially not the best Dutch Dutch team that they could get out. So it does show that the gap is really really narrowing. The plan is obviously to reschedule these games uh, in due course, the ones that that we've missed, and catch them up. That's unlikely though to be before the T Twenty World Cup, uh, which is still planned for India in the autumn. But all the associate countries seem to be in pretty much the same boat as they try to get ready for for that first round of the competition. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on on that just now? The way I've looked at the whole COVID situation is to not not plan too far ahead, um, to almost do it a week by week and, a, and at furthest a month by month to really plan what we're training and what the schedule looks like because it changes so quickly. Um, but as a, as a squad... I think we're in a really exciting place. Um, the amount of training the guys are getting done, the way I'm seeing guys develop, and the, the options that people are taking on, and the, the squad depth is just—it's really, it's really encouraging place for us to be in. And I know that uh, Shane and the team behind the scenes are working as hard as they can to put on a brilliant schedule leading up to that World Cup, so we can go there and and we can try and do something quite special. Yeah, most definitely, and we obviously did get as we mentioned, that international cricket in the Netherlands recently, who will be one of our first-round opponents in India, of course. Um, what was your, your main takeaway from that series? You're you mentioning the, the depth in the squad and obviously some uh, other players really coming through in that, uh, in that tour. I thought, it was a, I thought it was a fascinating tour, actually. Um, I think if we are a little bit critical but also realistic, that first game... I think if we were in the in the middle of a season and played some more cricket, we, pro- we probably would expect ourselves to win. But after I think what was it, five hundred eighty-eight days? That could be wrong. Then of not playing, you could see a little bit of rustiness creep in. Um, and then the second game, I thought I, I thought I thought the turnaround of the way um, Dylan played from game one, game one to game two was was really exciting. And um, to see it, to see a player take on some real good learning about his game and the way he wants to play just over two days was was exciting to see um, and then and then again the depth of the bowling um, Gavin Main coming back into the squad and really bowling 
quick and hostile on on a deck that you really had to put in to get a lot out of it. Again, it just shows that this, as I keep saying, the depth and the amount of bowlers and options that that Shane and Kyle have at their disposal now, it's it's a good place for uh, cricket Scotland to be. I mean, you mentioned uh, the, the the rustiness coming back in. I mean, for you as a as a batsman, is that the kind of scenario that you would have preferred to come back into? You know, coming in on on quite a tricky pitch to get runs on, so it was quite attritional and challenged you straight away. Or would you have would you have preferred a road? Um, <laughs> get me to the Grange any day, <laughs> any day. Um, I, it's it was it, it's. It's different because obviously training the way you want to play, you you try and establish a game plan and you have an idea as a team of how we're going to be this aggressive modern um, squad, and then you're presented with a wicket, um, which I think over the Ireland series and the the Scotland series, I think there might have only been two, maybe possibly three fifties from the top threes in either side. Um, it was it was quite a tricky place to get thrown back into cricket um, but what was what was uh, what I found fascinating maybe others didn't was that it didn't seem to be any real reason of why it would be like that it wasn't like a green steamer that the ball was nipping about it was just quite it was quite tough if the bowlers bowled it into a really good area um, but again that's the, that's the sort of thing that going through into the World Cricket League and going to different conditions it's going to be something that I certainly know I've, I've, I've gone away and I've thought about that and I've thought of ways that I can train so if we are presented with that again then then you can hopefully adapt a bit more and I mean until we get those those international fixtures arranged we're relying on a domestic program which talking of of squad depth we've already seen some immense performances in that how important is that now in providing the most competitive cricket we can in the the circumstances the standard of the regional series is improving year on year um, I, I personally really like the addition of the academy team into the into the into the fold. I think it allows more players to play potentially at a better standard in Scotland. But you just have to look at the scores and the way the guys are. The guys are getting hundreds and big hundreds, and then bowlers are coming in and bowling match-winning spells. And the more opportunities guys have got to do that, then the more chance they've got a to stake their claim to go and play for Scotland. But be just the, the whole level increases. So the guys who are playing regional cricket week in, week out, then go back to their uh, club side on a Saturday and their expectations are a bit higher. So the standards raised of that, I think the, the higher the standard of regional cricket we can get, then hopefully the filter down all the way through to the leagues and the, uh, the junior teams. I think it's, I think it's potentially a massive massive stepping stone for, for cricket in Scotland um, and I think it's really encouraging to see the way the, the, the organisation have, have, have got behind it and tried to get more fixtures and more teams into it. And looking at those performances in the context of the T20 World Cup our last major tournament was that 2016 World T20 which was the sort of so near yet so far exit that kind of heralded the the final steps in the in the change of mentality that you that you talked about, you know, that modern attacking brand of cricket that we're looking to play now. I mean, how exciting is it to see guys like Ollie Hares coming through and making these sorts of uh, statements with that T Twenty World Cup in mind? But it's brilliant to see anybody putting their hand up and, and playing in a playing in a way that is possibly slightly different to 
the traditional Scottish way of playing. Um, I think the skills that he's got and the, the skills he's not only starting to exhibit in training, but now in the regional series and at the slightly lower level of club cricket, the, the skills that he's showing, I think they drive everybody in the squad because you watch that as a batter and you think, OK, if that's if that's cap- if somebody's capable of batting like that, then I'm going to go and try a little bit of that. And it's just the way he's playing. It's encouraging other people to explore that way. Um, and then for him, it's brilliant. If he can carry that sort of form into a T20 World Cup, and it could be a real launching pad for him to to go and do something special. I think, I think you look at the squad with um with George obviously playing in the way he, we know he can play. Kyle's such an exciting cricketer, and then you add in the power of of Barrington, Hares, Crossy. The list goes on. To be honest, that's just five five batters, and we know there's other batters waiting in the wings to try and try and push the case to go and win games. So. I think that's where that regional series is so important that even the guys who are in the, the squad at the moment, they can't just expect to be in the squad anymore because the opportunity is there for guys to go in and knock them out of it. Well, Callum, we've talked about the frustrations of things as they are at the moment, but you had one piece of really good news at the turn of the year with the arrival of your son, Finlay. So how is how is fatherhood treating you? Yeah, it's, um, it's probably kept me going through lockdown and some of the some of the disappointment of of missing tours and and cricket being cancelled um it, it kind of puts puts it into perspective when you when you come home and he's he's sitting there waiting for you and yeah just thoroughly enjoying it i guess being at home a bit more than you might otherwise have been has been the blessing in all this uh, this chaos we've been experiencing at the moment yeah absolutely like we're we're always trying to find the positives that we can and I know with what the schedule could have been like, I, I might not have got six months at home as in, as much as I would have if, if the season had been going. So I've, I've just looked at it uh, and tried to take that positive that whilst I, I want to get out there and play some cricket, spending time at home with, with Finlay is uh, probably, probably just as good, to be honest. Always a huge pleasure to talk to you. Thanks ever so much. Excellent. Thank you very much. Callum McLeod there. And to find out about how his Warriors side got on along with all the domestic news, we're joined again by Gary Heatley. Hi, Gary. How are things with you? Oh, good. Thanks, Rosie. Could you be back again? Well, let's start with the Regional Pro Series and that massive game at Lachlan's, where either the Warriors or the Highlanders would book their place in the final. And it was the men from the West who came out on top, Gary. Yes, as you say, Jake, the match was effectively a semi-final. And batting first, the Warriors scored 257 for eight. Informed Sterling County man Brandon McMullen making a 59 not out. Captain routine Barrington 58. And Alexis Ross Lyons chipping in with a very useful 38 of 26 balls. In the reply for the Highlanders, Michael Lee skipped 42. But when the forfeiture man was run out by years, Michael English, they were 114 for five and they never recovered from there. In the end, the Highlanders were 162 all out. Warriors opening bowlers Gavin Main of Heriots and the aforementioned McMullen leading the way with three wickets apiece. To help the Warriors through to the final. So the Warriors through to the final, which we played at Titwood on 11th of July. And while this was happening, their future opponents were flexing their muscles too. Yeah, that's right. The Knights were obviously already safely through to the final, but they made it three wins from three this year against the Performance Academy at Golden Acre. Batting first for the Knights, Watson Reigns Ollie Harris smashed 43 from just 18 balls to set the tone, and his opening partner, Jamie Crawley, 
made a more conservative 66 from 68 balls to set the foundations. In the middle order, Granger's Dylan Budge made 91, George Munji of RHC 68, and Captain Mark Watt 89 not out, as the Knights made a daunting looking 418 for 6 from the 50 overs. For the Performance Academy, Finn McCreath made 59 before he was just out LBW to his former Grange teammate Charlie Pete, and no other batter could make it over 26 as the youngsters roll out for 225. Spinner Watt finished with 5 for 36 to end what was a great weekend for him at all levels. Yeah, I mean, for the Knights to post over 400 without scoring an individual century is quite a feat. Pretty ominous looking ahead to the final as well. Absolutely. And if you look at the top six they had out on Sunday there, of Hares, Crawley, Josh Wood, Budge, Munsey and Watt, that looks pretty useful and uh, we'll get any team off to a bit of a flyer. So they'll probably start their finals as favourites. But the Warriors' top six that played on Sunday also looked pretty good. If you think of Matthew Cross, Erickson's Mohamed Oase, Callum McLeod, Barrington, English, and Ferguson's Riyad Henry. So when that game comes around on July the 11th, it really should be a, a cracker and a uh, one to watch. It should be some game, especially if Matthew Cross and Ollie Harris creep up the form they're in at the moment. And not to mention all the firepower there is in both teams. But let's move on to the league cricket from the weekend where in the West, Clydesdale passed another test with flying colours. They did uh, against an informed West of Scotland that had been unbeaten in the league and cups since their opening day loss to Fergusley. Craig Young was the start with an innings of 81 as Clydesdale posted 218, their highest total of the season. And while several West batsmen got a start in their reply, none was able to convert it into some game-winning momentum. Daniel Cairns took a threefer, while Gavin Smith and Anthony Hullock did the same for West, but it was the league leaders who consolidated their position and maintained their unbeaten record in the end. In second place now are Stirling County, who beat Pollock by 95 runs at New William Field, thanks to 80 from Amir Shazad and 64 from Brandon McMullen. That's three wins in a row now for Matthew Tweedy's side, who gave me his thoughts after the game. Yeah, so it was good. I think... Um... I think we felt quite comfortable for the majority of the game. I think we were able to set a decent total. I think we were 256 in the end, I think, and, and we actually ended up getting bowled out with a few overs left. So I think we probably could have got 280, 290, even close to 300. So, yeah, it was a good batting effort, and it didn't really feel like they were going to get close to chasing it down at any point. So, yeah, it was quite a, a comfortable day, which was nice. Uh, and all on the back of that incredible game at Michael Riggs last week, I mean, you must be really pleased with the the resilience that your side is showing uh, over the season so far. Yeah, it's really good. I think we had the, the first sort of couple of friendlies we played, or the, and then the first league game, um, we were a little bit inconsistent. But um, the last three league games and a T20 in between, we, we were quite solid. And as you say, whenever the games have been quite close, we've been able to kind of pull through. And, and our batting lineup seems to be quite consistent and posting good scores um, sort of nearly every week at the moment. So, yeah, hopefully that can keep, keep continuing. Brandon McMullen has been at the heart of things with both bat and ball, but Harry Booker too has been in great form, Akram Shakur as well. Lots of contributions from right through the side. Yeah, definitely. I think um, we've, we've kind of got a team that kind of has five or six sort of of the, of the main guys that are there the majority of weeks. And, you know, Brandon's um, been kind of consistently scoring runs, taking wickets. Harry's been really solid at the top of the order. He's, he gets sort of 30s, 40s every week and he's kind of just waiting to kick on now I think and Akram's been a, a really, really good bowler for the last two, three years and, and that kind of consistent 
performance has, has kind of led him to getting called back into the Warriors setup. So yeah, we're very fortunate that we have a good core of sort of four, five, six guys that are able to perform at a really good standard every week. So that's kind of definitely driving our kind of upturn in form, I think. And second place in the league now and big game next week against Dumfries, who have had two wins and, and two losses so far. So what are you expecting from that game? Uh, well, funnily enough, probably a draw because we played them twice in 2018 and we tied both games, <laughs> which was quite which was quite funny. Um, so yeah, I, we've not played them since 2018, um, but they were always a pretty good outfit, I thought. And I think the fact that they've won the last two games, they look like they're going to be a fairly solid team again. That I think it should be quite a competitive game, and hopefully the weather this week looks really good. So hopefully we can get a really good pitch at the weekend, and it's it's a good kind of high scoring game. So yeah, but hopefully we can keep the form going because the longer that we can keep building momentum, the, the better chance it gives us of staying towards the sharp end of the league. So yeah, if we can try and keep the run going as long as possible, that'd be great. As Matthew was saying, Stirling County's next opponents are Dumfries, who added to Greenock's woes with a 51-run win, Scott Beveridge scoring a half-century, and Chris Brockwell continuing his fine all-round form with 58 and 4 for 13. Prestwick got back to winning ways by beating Langside in another of their trademark low scorers, Jonathan Hume taking 4 for 10 and Fraser MacDonald 3 for 18 as Langside was dismissed for 87. Mujh Khan took 5 for 16 as Presswick wobbled in the reply, but Sachin Chowdhury and Ross Kennedy saw them safely through by four wickets in the end. And the final match of the week was another cracker as Uddingston got the better of Fergusley at Meeklerigs. After last week's loss to Stirling County, it was another tough day with the bat for the home side, for whom only Tamar Ahmed with 75 made a score of note. And then Uddingston really pressed home their advantage with Moa Wace scoring 41 and Gavin Bradley an unbeaten 70 as the runs were knocked off with more than 17 overs to spare. It's been a tough start to the season for the defending champions who suffered back-to-back defeats in the league, then a week to forget in the cup, but it very much looks like they've turned a corner at last. Here's skipper Brian Clark with his perspective on Uddingston's season so far. For us, I think... Bizarrely, having having tried to do so much, I guess um, we were a little bit cold. I think coming into the the first game against Clydesdale, we had the the four or five guys based in Glasgow who had been obviously isolated or, or in the level three area, so therefore couldn't train and, and all that sort of stuff. So it was a bit of a cold start for us, I suppose. In that sense, we tried to keep as much momentum and everything going in the right direction, but it's difficult when. You know, you're missing half your team and then, you know, it's a standing start, first day of the season. Of course, Clydesdale started really, really well. And I think I immensely frustrating for us that day because we felt that we had left so much out there that, that we should really have challenged Clydesdale, even if we'd escaped together to a 180, a 190, a, you know, something around 200. We felt really confident that we would have been good enough to defend that. I think we still are arguably a stronger bowling side than batting side. We, we tend to chase pretty well, which is not so common for a lot of the, the club teams, certainly in the West. And of course, the, the very next week, we you know, we contain Presswick to a reasonable sort of 140 or a thing and contribute pretty much to our own downfall and not chasing at all. So, for a straight couple of weeks, managed to get ourselves knocked out of the Scottish Cup the day after the Presswick game the West League Cup the Wednesday after the press week game and in between all of that lost to Sterling in the Round Cup which is the, the Masterton equivalent in the, the West 
on the Thursday. So, yeah, we had one of those kind of horrible weeks, which actually clears the way a little bit. Um, the guys get together, everyone's back to sort of normal, having lots of balls, practicing, doing what we do. So, I've felt pretty good the last two weeks. As I say, our bowling attack is, in my opinion, as, as strong as anyone in, in our league. And we've backed ourselves to to do whatever we do. And, and almost yesterday, it felt like, well, if these guys are scoring 160 against us, that's probably a pretty good pitch. So we're, we're going to be confident and, and chase it hard. And we did do chase down 160 and, and sort of 30 overs. Lost a couple of early ones and, and I think a waste out when we were about 80. Um, for a, a sort of well-made 40. Um, he's been quite disappointed in himself and not seeing it through just as he's, his form's starting to turn. But um, Gavin Bradley took it on, ably supported by Fergus. And, you know, seeing us home with a loss of time and, and seven wickets to spare. Yeah, I mean, as you say, the bowling has been really consistent all the way through and yeah. good to get some of that into the into the batting over the last couple of weeks. Well, that's, that's it. So it builds a wee bit of confidence in the team and, and things like that. So... You know, guys like Neil Alexander and Abdul Sardi with a new ball, excellent for us. Neil's probably bowled especially well of the pair of them and, and both have bowled probably without that, that little bit of luck that you need to get a, a fourther or a fifer to back that up with, with young Thomas Wilmot who seems to get wickets whenever he comes on for us. He's got that lovely knack of coming on, moves the ball beautifully and gets good players out, you know, so he's he's got a He's got a few real, real good polls already, and he's he's only 17. So this year he's managed I think seven wickets in the league so far. He's got um, Craig Young, he's got Sammy Zia, he's got um, Riyadh yesterday, and, and was pretty unlucky not to get to Moore as well. We went on to make 75 for for Fergusley. I was I was really impressed with him against um, against Clydesdale in the first game. Actually, he seems to really swing it. Really swings the ball, um, balls full, ball straight, has enough pace and is one of those guys that, that's improved every aspect of his game. So, you know, all of a sudden he's, he's, he's scored some runs at, at, at the junior age groups and he's at sort of development level cricket. He, he feels really well, he works really, really hard and, and is just an improving young cricketer who's got a, a real good future ahead of him, I think. Well, as you say... Good run of form at the moment and still a long way to go, of course. So what's your, your hopes then for the remainder of the of the campaign? I think when we were coming into that season, I think we were probably, like a lot of clubs, I suppose, feeling a little bit on the back foot because, well, perhaps we wouldn't have moved to, to get an overseas player. But certainly in losing Gavin and Anwar, we'd lost two mainstays of our team. Gavin Main as a, you know, as a X Factor, he's he's probably the best ball in the country, all that sort of good stuff. And um Anwar, you know, won us a couple of games batting and opening the batting. So to lose lose those guys, we probably felt a little bit behind where we were in twenty nineteen. But actually, you know, had hoped to remain competitive and hope to challenge and I don't think anything's changed really. I would love to be playing Clydesdale next week. Rather than the the first week of the season, but that's just how the cards are dealt, so there's not much any of us can do about that. Um, hopefully just stay in a sort of nice run and getting the, the strongest team we possibly can in the park each week. Goodness knows 
COVID will probably have a sting in its tail somewhere along the line and, and we'll all have an instance of guys that are going to have to self-isolate and really just have to suck that up. You know, it's going to happen and we're going to have to accept that and just just go with it. Just be as competitive as we can and, and keep challenging and, you know, when the big games roll along, that's when you want to be, you know, fielding the best team and, and sort of making your mark and feeling good about your cricket. As you were saying there, the season's still in its early stages, but the Western Premier is shaping up nicely already. And Gary, in the East, we mentioned Matthew Cross's form a bit earlier. He's on fire at the moment. Yeah, that's right. I mean, last week for Heritage, he hit 171 not out, which was a club record at the time. But he broke it himself on Saturday at Arbroath with a brilliant 200 not out. Hayes Vandenberg also made 116, and their partnership for the second wicket was 162 runs. As a result, Harry's posted 344 for three from their 50 overs, which was always going to be very hard for the home side to chase. Again, Mark Watt was in the wickets, taking three for 33, and Lloyd Brown took three for 22, as our both were bowled out for 181 to put Harry at the top of the table. And afterwards, I heard from the captain, Mark Watt. Yeah, the way um, Hayes and Crossy batted today was just brilliant. Just took ownership of the, of the situation and just kind of just dealt with it superbly in, in a way that I expect them to. Um, but, you know, to bat 30, no, sorry, about 40 overs um, and put on the, the runs that they did with a good uh, Arbroath bowling attack, it was um, it was something that I'm hopefully they'll uh, never forget. And, um, yeah, it's, it makes it a lot easier. It makes the team a lot easier to skipper when you've got 340 on the board. So, um, now nah, the way they batted was unbelievably and, Hopefully they can keep doing the, the same for the rest of the season. Mark Watt there. Amazingly, his side's win was one of five on the road in the division, with previously winless Stuart's Melville going to Barnton to take on RHC. In a match reduced to 40 overs aside, Vishal Shah got the key wicket of George Munsey early on, and RHC then fell 68 for six. They were thankful to 47 not out from their skipper Caleb Whiteford to hold them up to 163 for eight. Chris Steele and Andrew Appleton put together a 54-run opening partnership with Stuart reply, but when youngster Joe Newman fell, they were 157 for eight, still needing seven runs to win, and things were getting nervy. Patrick Ritchie with 35 not out, and Umar Malik, five not out, held their nerve to see the visitors home, though, by two wickets, with seven balls to spare, and that was a massive result for Stuart Melville. Granger second in the table after they bounced back to form with a comfortable win at Beagle. Young spinner J.B. Cairns took 4 for 27 as the host were bundled out for just 74. And then Nick Farrar top scored with 20 in reply as the poor girl placed men came out on top by 6 wickets. Well, Sorea is up to 4th after battling back from 25 for 5 to win at Stonywood Dice. Andrew Chambers to 78 was backed up by 55 by Harry Shubmangal as they hoisted their team up to 243 for 9. Skipper Pete McSimchik then took 3 for 32 and led the way in the reply as the Aberdeen side were 101 all out. And at Four Hill, Carlton, in fifth place, defeated Forfarshire, who had been top at the start of the day. Shuja Khan made 58, and Will Hardy 52, to help Carlton post 218 batting first. Rory Allardyce and then young Rory McIntyre both took three wickets, as the first for 157 all out, and that was a great win for Carlton. So all pretty tight at the top of the Eastern Premier, with Harriet Grange and Forfarshire all very much in the mix. And a massive week in the Women's Premier as well, Rosie. It was indeed, Jake. Uh, West hosted Stuart's Melville at Hamilton Crescent, whilst Royal High hosted Carlton at Barnton Avenue. 
Unfortunately, the game at Gatehouse between Dumfries slash Galloway and Watsonian slash Grange didn't go ahead. However, that did not stop an exciting week. First up, Royal High won the toss at Barnton against Carlton and decided to have a bowl. RHC took full control while some critical wickets came in early from Ikra Farouk, bowling Annette Aitken Drummond for seven. And Abby Aitken Drummond leaving the game without scoring as Caitlin Ormiston got her for LBW. With nerves in the air for Carlton, Sam Hagel scored a total of 17, smashing three fours to get Carlton off the ground and what looked like a shaky start. Cara Scott came in at five and steered the team's total with a strong 58 runs, hitting seven fours before being caught by Caitlin Ormiston to the bowling of Megan Taylor. In the end, the tail end of Carlton clung on to the strong bowling of RHC, with Zara Dansu scoring the second highest total before being run out. A shared bowling and fielding effort from RHC with Kitty Levinson taking three for 32, Megan Taylor taking one for 18, Caitlin Ormiston taking one for 22, and Ikra Farouk taking two for 22. In reply to Carlton's total of 143, Riti Patel opened up the batting with Kitty Levinson, with Riti scoring 55, before being stumped by the quick hands of Annette Aitken Drummond. The bowling unit was strong for RHE to get into the groove, and wickets were taken regularly, with batters finding it hard to get regular partnerships. Cara Scott, the Scotland spinner, took four for 37, whilst Ashley Robertson had an exceptional bowling game of three for eight. Sam Hago took two wickets and Macy Masira took a further one to restrict RHC to a total of 119, allowing Carlton another win by 24 runs. West also won comfortably against UML. Some scores, Ellen Watson, managed to get 87 runs, Abtaha scoring 37 runs for West, and Chloe Keeley taking three for 35 from six overs for Stu Mel. Well, it's been a tremendous season in the WPL, which reaches its final round of games on Sunday. And then we're into the Super Series. Really looking forward to that. So finally, what's catching your eye in the week ahead, Gary? Yeah, on Saturday in Eastern Premier Division, New leaders Heriots are travelling across Edinburgh to take on old rivals Watsonians. And the sides are going to be playing for the 1896 Cup for the first time to mark 125 years of playing the fixture. So that should be quite a quite a clash in the league. Well, the Stewart's Melville Stony with Dice game is a big one at the other end of the table, and it'll be interesting to see how much confidence Stu Mel have taken from their win on Saturday at RHC. And then on Sunday in the Scottish Cup, it's going to be really interesting to see if WDCU First Division side John Pellier can continue their good run. They take on what's remains in the quarterfinals. Well, Langside will have to put in their best showing of the season to date to get past Clydesdale. Grange, Forfarshire, and Holders, Heritage, West should also be good ties. So, four cracking quarterfinal matches there. So, I'm excited to see Watsonian slash Grange take on uh, West of Scotland. I think that'll be a nice tight game, especially with the array of internationals playing for, for both sides as well. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing that and see if West can hold on to some really good wins that they've had so far. Um, RHC against uh, Stuart's Melville as well. That should also be a very tight game. Um, and, and teams nicely matched against each other. And then, obviously, I'll be playing in the, 
the George Watson's College v um, Dumfries and Galloway side. So looking forward to that at Craig Lockhart. And, and that will end that will end the Women's Premier League um, with Carlton having a, a, a rest uh, for the final games. So, yeah, looking really, looking really good. And it's been really fabulous this season anyway. Yeah, looking forward to those too, as well as the... Uh... The Scottish Cup games, which will be fascinating. And uh, there's another huge game in the Western Premier as Fergus Lee travel to Prestwick next Saturday, desperate to get their title challenge back on track after those two defeats in a row. Still all very much to play for there. Plenty to talk about next Tuesday, but that's it from us for another week. Thank you all again to all of our guests and to you again for listening. From Gary, Jake and me, goodbye. Goodbye.